those of you who don't know this is being recorded, this thing picks up everything. It's being recorded and going on to our website later as a podcast, and you'd be amazed at how many people are tuning in to hear our sermons and stuff. So feel free to laugh, applaud, anything. Give it a give it kind of a background sound. Our first scripture reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Romans. Chapter 7, verses 14 through 21. Listen to God's word. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I don't understand my own actions, for I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. It is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. Our second reading is from chapter 12 of the second letter to the Corinthians, the second half of verse 7 to the first half of verse 9. Listen again to God's word. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, A thorn was given me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a movie that came out a long, long time ago, and I can't, I, I think it was The Strange Life of Timothy Green. I think that was the title. It was amazing. A child comes to these parents somehow, and there's something about him that's a little off. They tried to have kids, and here comes Timothy, and they take him in and start to raise him, and they start to realize that he's not quite like everyone else. Parents want this normal kid, and they want him to have a normal, good life. And so they signed him up for soccer. Yay! He goes to the tryouts. He's horrible. Really horrible. It was like watching me play baseball. It was good for entertainment, but the team didn't like him very much. But what what was so amazing was they're going home and the coach had said, no, he can't play, he can't play. And his father said, yes, he can, he's gonna play. The coach said, well, he's gonna sit on the bench. We'll be here. 
And they got in the car and he says, Timothy, I'm sorry about all that. And he, Timothy said, why? If I'm as bad as that, I can only get better. <laughs> what an attitude. I like that. If you're on the bottom, the only way to go is up. Not too, not too shabby. Paul is talking to us this morning and telling us that he can't be too proud of himself because he's got a problem. He's got a sin he can't shake. And no matter what he does, it doesn't work. Now, Paul was a Pharisee, and they were used to bragging about themselves. Remember the one in the temple who said, Oh, Lord, I, I am truly a sinner, but thank goodness I'm not as bad as that guy. And Jesus comes along and tells them, you're as bad as that guy, trust me. But Paul is used to that. And being right or appearing righteous was one of their best things. And Paul has to let that go now and understand what makes righteousness and what does not. Now, some, people, some scholars in reading all of Paul's letters have said the thorn in his side is his eyesight. Because from some of the things he said, we know his eyesight was kind of going on and, and he needed a secretary to write down his letters for him. But I don't think that's it. Based on what Paul is saying about this thorn, losing your eyes, everyone in here with glasses is a sinner. Your eyesight's all wrong, so therefore you sin? It's not Paul's eyesight. That's not it at all. Paul is protesting this thorn, but he never tells us quite what it is. He never identifies it. And he also has his second protest regarding good versus evil intention. What I intend is not what I do. And Paul's echoing, correct me if I'm wrong, but don't raise your hands. You don't need to confess now. Paul is echoing something that we all feel from time to time. We can all feel that. Why did I do that? I didn't mean, that's not what was supposed to happen. Oh, man. But Paul says, the things I don't want to do are the ones I do. What is wrong with me? What's wrong with Paul? Well, the reason I think that Paul's sin is never named is part of God's wisdom. We read what Paul has written, and it could be our sin he's talking about. He leaves it open so that we can plug ourselves into this very argument. And we know we've had this argument with ourselves, haven't we? Mm-hmm. I know you have. Some things that were sins in Paul's day, like eating shrimp, it was a sin, yes. Made you unclean. Are not so much a sin today. Anybody here like to eat oysters and clams and lobster and shrimp and crabs? Yeah, you're not supposed to eat those. Think about it, they're really bugs. You break through the, a lobster, seriously, is just a sea roach. 
Think about that next time. But it could be really serious for Paul. What if Paul was a serial killer and we just don't know it? We don't know what his sin was. But the great part of this question is something Paul is obsessing about. And he can't let it go. It keeps nagging at him. And it is beautiful that we don't know what that sin is. What we can identify with is Paul feeling like he's in that pit of despair. He's helpless against the sin. There's nothing he can do. And he calls on God, please fix this. And instead of fixing it, God says, shut up. My grace is sufficient. You're giving this sin more power than it deserves. You have things I want you to be doing. This is a waste of your time. My grace is enough. Now get on with your mission. I love you. God says that more than we think sometimes. And God says to Paul, basically, look, if it's this bad, you can only get better. So we learned in seminary about John Calvin and total depravity. Um, the idea that people are beyond redemption on their own. I kind of have a problem with the total depravity statement. I know what John Calvin means. I think he was right. But it sounds like human beings are not even worth redemption. That God just does it because, well, what else are you going to do with these creatures? But that's not really what it's about. Paul is expressing what total depravity is. It's our inability not to sin. It's our inability to do the right thing each and every time. And when we are depraved and broken and sinful, we are not beyond redemption. We're not totally depraved. We're broken. And I wouldn't put it any more seriously than that. Totally, no. I'm sorry. I'm not going there with John Calvin. And he's probably not rolling in his grave because I contradicted him. But there are things John said I don't agree with. And I am kind of a Calvinist. But God is telling Paul, listen, Paul, come here. There is nothing you can do. That's true. You can't do anything about these sins. I'm very sorry to tell you that. You need me. And we learn as Presbyterians that there's nothing we can do to get saved. God's grace is free. It does not require anything on our part. We go and do the good things God wants us to do out of gratitude for that grace. To show God our appreciation to show the rest of the world our appreciation. But it doesn't save us. And God says, yeah, there's nothing you can do. I know that. 
But I can do anything, including lifting you out of the bottom of that pit. You think you've hit rock bottom, Paul? Well, then stop digging and wait for me. Call on me. The bottom of the pit's no more dangerous than being up topside if God's in the pit with you. It's still holy ground. As Timothy, the, Timothy Green's story went on, they let him be a water boy. Uh, he carried the cooler of water for the coach and the other players. Their champion, their best player, last game of the season, got hurt. And naturally, we know how that kind of story goes. All right, Green, you're on the field. There's nobody else. And the coach tells him, look, you go right over here. And he showed him and said, you stand here. Don't move. Don't try to do anything because you're going to ruin everything. Part of what God is saying to Paul is go after the ball. Swing at the pitch. Whatever the game you want to pick out for a metaphor. But do it. And we, we're kind of like Timothy and his coach. We want to play. But that coach in us says we need to play it safe. But let's... But the, let's oh. What are we supposed to do? Tell him, get on the field and stand there. And in the last game, they're tied, and Timothy does move, and he starts playing. And he's brilliant. He does all kinds of things with that ball that he just can't imagine. He's dribbling by himself. He passes it off, gets it back, and he kicks and scores the winning Dutch, the touchdown. No. <laughs> I'm thinking about later today. He scores the winning goal in the wrong goal. He's just like us. He's really good. Just not good enough. No matter what. And God says, my grace is sufficient. My grace is all you need. What we can't do because of our brokenness, God has already done for us. We're getting ready to celebrate the advent of Christ into the world. He's the sign that God has taken care of it all. It's done. We can't make the team, but neither could Paul or Peter or John Calvin or Martin, pick somebody. Nobody can make the team. Not on our own. Abraham and Moses, doomed. But we're all still chosen for the team. God has chosen us because God loves us. God chose our ancestors because God loved them. God washed them clean and us and all our descendants to come because God loves and desires us in relationship. Think about that. God's not obligated. God just loves us. Whoa. Wish I could do that.
But this little baby is coming to teach us how to play this game of life. And when we kick the ball brilliantly, sometimes it's going in the wrong goal. And a little baby will say to us, cheer up, don't worry about that. You're on the team. And you can only get better. Amen. Come, let's stand and say who we are and to whom we belong. <clears throat> Jesus Christ, as He is attested in Holy Scripture, is the one Word of God which we have to hear and which we have to obey, trust and obey in life and in death. As Jesus is God's assurance of the forgiveness of all our sins, so in the same way and with the same seriousness is He also God's mighty claim on our whole life. Through Him befalls us a joyful deliverance from the godless fetters of this world for a free, grateful service to His creatures. The Christian church is the congregation of the brethren in which Jesus Christ acts presently as the Lord in word and sacrament through the Holy Spirit.